Good morning. Hey, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Probably been better. It's been a little bit stressful since the compressor thing kind of continued for days. Let's just say they weren't easy to work with after the fact. Uh, We've had a little bit of a residual problem where it seems the breaker may be shot. It's kicked on to run a couple times and then it just decides to hit the breaker and the breaker goes out. The compressor or the breaker on the street? No, the breaker in our panel. Yeah, okay. The power surge. The our electrician hasn't come look at it again, but thinks that it could be the breaker's bad now because it did go through the breaker when it surged. You hear it? I can hear a machine. That's the compressor. That's the compressor. Okay. It's kind of this weird whine. I I say it sounds like an ATV starting up. Sounds louder than a uh, Prusa. It's what I thought, too. It's it's pretty quiet altogether. It's been great when everything's worked, and there's just been too much stress around it, honestly, for what it should have been, but it is what it is. Yeah, so you're just losing power on the compressor, not on everything, right? Yep. 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 How's things been for you? I saw, incidentally, I feel like we were working on fairly similar things. We started working on dowel fixturing for the router. I think probably somewhat inspired by our conversations. and. Then I saw you were making pegs, like, basically the same time frame. (laughs) What were you making? I don't have any images of it. Ricky's working on a fixture to hold, like, a a slam-in kind of wedge fixture to hold dowels. We need something that's like a hook or a peg for the knack wall behind me. We haven't come up with anything, and I think I finally stumbled onto something there. Yeah, and I had the good morning on the pencil sharpener yesterday trying to get a production version of our 25 mil threaded peg happening because I've wanted to do, we've made peg, simple peg boards for years, just like a dumb one inch dowel in a hole. Mm-hmm. They've been a reasonably successful product over the years. You know, peg boards, I don't know about over there, but peg boards kind of everywhere over yeah. here. Yeah. Forever. Dowel diameter is really inconsistent and every batch <laughs> we get is a different diameter subtly and so we machine holes to suit basically batch by batch almost product by product yep. and so someone buys a pegboard with 10 pegs and then you know a year later they want more pegs there's always this just like oh we i don't know if these are actually going to fit they're going to be too tight or really sloppy and hang down in the hole ever since i started threading stuff I've wanted to do a threaded pegboard just to get rid of all yeah. of that variation and just have everything a machined fit, get rid of all of that sloppiness. It's been one of those products that's kind of been on the back burner for years now. Mm-hmm. Finally making some progress on that, John. Cut some prototype threaded panels recently, and, yeah, I've been working on the production version of the Dow peg with the thread on one end making some progress there's a bit of product development happening at the moment it's been good everyone's kind of bit fired up and working on new things because it's been a while since we had some fresh product come through those are i find those to be very invigorating times i knew that's what i wanted but once people here the team got a taste of product development too it like lights a fire under everybody you see smiles it's more exciting (laughs) there's less stress Curious, would you mm. replace the existing version or would you have a dual? No, I would scrap the old one completely. Yeah. And I think, you know, some of those pegboard products that we've got may be replaced with a threaded equivalent. 
some of them may go altogether and just get replaced with something yeah. a bit fresher, rethought, because there's lots of legacy. We've been designing plywood products for over 10 years, I think. So there's a lot of like weird legacy hangovers from previous products or previous ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. And those little legacy decisions just survive for like ages. Yeah. Um, you have to consciously sort of go and cut them out and trim, prune them. From yeah. time to time, I think. But yeah, it's a really nice vibe when everyone's jazzed up about product development. We've got a, a sort of semi-formal scheme here where any staff can bring products to the table. And then we have a sort of royalty system. If they become a like butter product, then we pay royalties on sales to whoever designed them as a way of trying to sort of encourage people to spend time thinking about product development. The current system is that if you bring a product to the table that you've kind of developed in your own time, off the clock, so to speak, and we look at it and go, cool, yeah, that suits the butter family of products, kind of get approval to then develop it further and it becomes one of our products. And then I think 5% of sales or gross revenue on that product then goes back to the designer. So it's been a really nice system over the years. Most people on staff now have a product either on the website or coming through at the moment, which has been really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I've always wanted everybody to have a hand in designing things. And there was a hesitation early on, I think, for people to think that they were that they could contribute to that, especially because I think maybe you've had a similar thing where like we went to school for something like that and it feels like mm. maybe it wasn't the same or I wouldn't appreciate it. But no, that's I think to this point that's changed dramatically and I'm happy about that. That not that we have very many products, but that everybody's ideas are equal. It's my goal. Yeah. I've seen that too. I was just gonna say with people who haven't come through design school, you know, have been here for years and have learned so much on the job about design and manufacturing that their ideas are yes, just as valid and, you know, can be cleaner in some ways because they don't have that sort of some of that design language. Yeah. I would say that my requirement to that is you have to have an opinion. You yes. can't can't just be a bystander at any level. You have to have, not to have a strong, like, I need to fight for this feature thought, but like, you can't, if somebody says, what do you think about this? You can't say, oh, it's nice. That's not helpful. Like, none of that. There's a great Alexi Sale clip on the word nice. You say to somebody, do you like dire straits? And if they say, yeah, I think they're really great. Then you know that they're a stupid git and they want their head shut in a door. <laughs> when you meet diastates, they're really nice. 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 That's something you say about biscuits, isn't it? When they're nice. Oh, Mr. Jenkins, how do you like a new manure flavoured Jacob's assortment? They're, they're really nice. Stars shouldn't be nice. They should be smelly. <laughs> they shouldn't be nice standing around meeting Princess Diana and being nice. I want to know about your drilling 40,000 half-inch holes because I've had mm. RFQs similar to this. <laughs> so I can't talk too much about what it is because yeah. I'm on an NDA, funnily yeah, yeah. enough, which I think we're going to chat about as well, maybe. Uh, but <laughs> Down the road. Yeah, I've got this job coming through at the moment, which involves... Uh, just around about 40,000 half-inch, 12.7-millimeter holes in birch ply. I'm just really interested in how you, like whether you see quotes like this and how you tackle them because I find it, uh, it's a bit scary, like the machine time estimates. Like, 
could blow out by so much just mm-hmm. with a half second here or there. Mm-hmm. So in this particular one, I actually, this is the first time we've done this, but I, the quote was coming through across my desk, so to speak. I was like, hey, John, can you just program, if you've got time this afternoon, can you just program up like 10 holes with a twist drill and just time the cycle between the holes for me? So it's good to get just like a little real-time data point on that. But still, when there's that many, the potential for blowout is high. So, yeah, I'm interested in how you tackle stuff like that. It's not 40,000 a sheet. It's over the project. No, no, the whole project, yeah. Okay. We've had interested people asking us to quote jobs where it's like... Sorry, he's going to shut that off in a sec. We've had people ask us to do... I think it was over a thousand holes in a sheet, like many, many yeah. thousand holes. And the takeaway I got to is they basically the budget would never work. Like their project budget never made sense for how many holes we needed to make for them. I, I did the same thing. I tried to use cam to estimate time and love you fusion. Never accurate. Not even close. I think maybe if you could somehow get in the kinematics just perfectly and then optimize it somehow you get closer, but it's closer on the mill, surprisingly. I think some of that has to do with the travel time of how the router works. Well, and Fusion's built around mills, so that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Then I use V-Curve to try it, and then we've tried just physical testing like that, and I think the testing is as close as you're going to get, in my opinion. You can get crazy if you can somehow hold the part and then stack sheets. That's one of the ways you could really speed it up, right? Like, if you could somehow yeah. keep... I don't know how important the whole alignment and all that is, but... It's decorative. You can try that. It's yeah, tough. We're gonna, it's tough, yeah. We're going to look at part sheet stacking mm-hmm. and see if we can do something with that. We've done that on jobs in the past with thin stock where it's mm-hmm. maybe six mil birch and we've stacked three or four sheets with really good results. But this one, I don't know if that's going to work because there's a bunch of there's rebates in the surfaces of some of the sheets. So we'd have to do like an op one, op two on separate mm-hmm. machines or change over between the rebating cycles and then the drilling cycles. And then, yeah, but we'll try. I think we will try stacking if we can. I don't know. This is a first. So what's a rebate? <laughs> I think you call them rabbits. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Much to our, our amusement over here. <laughs> Yeah, right. I know. It's the same. Somebody uh, commented on, I think it was the laundromat manufacturing, commented on a post and he said he reposted something and called it a taster. And I really, I really enjoyed that because we call that like a teaser for a trailer video. And we've only had a couple of those so far. <laughs> our our enjoyment of each other's language. How are you? I'm interested in what tools you're using for quoting. Like actually sending the quotes? Yeah. We use that quotient. Mostly that quotient program. It's not perfect. I wish I could modify a few things, but I would say from the client side, they love it. Mm. It is hands down a win in terms of we always get compliments on that process. And I think that's really important. I wanted to really improve that as part of having faced the opposite where it was like somebody sends you an email with like six numbers and like they tried to tab it out, you know, to give different columns and it just doesn't work yeah cool i need to check it out i was chatting to jay about it yesterday here and because jay had listened to the podcast and had you mention quotients (laughs) and jay was like i i literally i don't want to even open it in a browser tab because i know i'm just going to go down a rabbit hole of (laughs) looking at more options 
There's um, there's other stuff out there, and I haven't looked. I started using it like 2018, so I'm guaranteed there's alternatives. But what's it's a flexible system that allows you to kind of templatize things, templatize quotes. For example, when pricing material is more reliable, like you could have your 4B Baltic Birch price in there mm-hmm. with an image, a description of what it was, who it's sourced from. That's some of that's private, some of it's public, and then markups, quantities. And you can drop those into any quote or keep them in a template and then make them optional or multiple choice or and then it tabulates at the bottom and they get all that live through a web view. Cool. So they get like an interactive view of that quote mm-hmm. at the customer end. Yeah. Can they select options? Yep. 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 Yes. You'll oh, want it's good. And so you'll also maybe the part, maybe I've buried the lead here. I have it feed directly into one projects in Airtable. So it dumps all that information from the quote once it's one straight into an Airtable project and creates it. Oh, stop. <laughs> stop, stop. <laughs> it's not perfect the way I've implemented it, but it saves me the step of literally taking like the project name, copying it over and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, all that double handling. Yeah. Cool. Okay. No, I think we have to look at that. Yeah, it's... It's satisfying for sure. And I forget, I asked you before to use Zapier. Yeah. So yeah, yep. it, it does a nice handling in between and they've kind of integrated pretty decently with that. So you could potentially start at the front end by entering, say, client information and all that stuff, probably automatically. It also integrates with zero. So big loop there. Cool. Yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, I think we should look at something like that before we spend months yeah. building our own version of that in Airtable. Yeah. yeah, for sure. It's pretty affordable, 25 bucks a month, I think. So I had another fun thing happen on the pencil sharpener this week. When I was on the tools last week, I ran the pencil sharpener heaps, just running the little bolts and caps that we make for the kit apart system, just those small mm-hmm. components. They're automatically cut off, so you can kind of just load stock. and Yeah set and forget for a while and towards the end of the week i was you know doing my little spot check quality control and putting the the veneer on them and i was like these some of these dimensions are growing and like checking them in the the bore that they're designed to fit in i was like yeah these are getting dangerously tight like they're almost out of spec i was a bit perplexed i was like because i've had some buggy stuff happen with the pencil sharpener like it lost all its wcs's once and Mm. There's yeah, been a few little things which have made me distrust its computer a little bit. <laughs> That's the fun part, yeah. The fun, fun. So I was like, maybe it's a code issue, but that doesn't really make sense because everything else is running fine. Mm-hmm. And I was a bit perplexed. And I thought at one point I remember thinking, oh, maybe it's toolware. Maybe it's just like the tool's cooked. But it looked good. It felt sharp. Anyway, I got to it at the start of this week and I was like, cool, first thing I need to do is just put a fresh tool in there. Changed the tool it was perfect. Like it was back to absolute nominal the threading dimensions tool? on the parts. No, the the cutting tool. Cutting tool. So the three flute up spiral that does the roughing basically mm-hmm. before the threading comes in. And just that tool change just took the parts back from like twenty nine point five mm. back to twenty twenty nine point zero. So like a half millimeter change across the diameter. Do you Massive. use a, do you use a macroscope at all? Like one of those cheap ones that we no. talked about. You may no. I've, I've got one, but yeah. I, I lent it to my mother-in-law to look at insects, and I haven't got it back. Uh, that'll happen. But yeah, I found that really interesting. While we had it looking at tools with it, it was cool. Yeah, I was just really interested that toolware was making such a big difference because I guess it's reflective of the machine in that it has 
it's not a mill, you know, it's it's still effectively a DIY machine. So I guess there's probably enough deflection in those cheap Makita spindles <laughs> and the whole thing that means that when a tool starts getting dull, that it really can just, like, it's just doing this, like waggling around. Mm, mm-hmm. I feel like we can push tools a lot further on the CNC, like, sorry, on the routers. Yeah. Really push tools until they're dead with minimal repercussions. Yeah. I don't know if you found this. I've always found cutting anything circular to be tough to hold Mm. tolerance or it's harder on the router. I haven't done much experience with the mill yet, but it just always seems a tougher cut that I think it's just the constant opposing forces. Maybe you get a nice result typically, but I could see that being part of it where it's constantly being kind of pushed out as well as you could try something. Maybe you do this already. I've watched some of your operations do your roughing and then do one or two cleanup spring passes. And that may give you a little bit more. It may solve some of that like wear at the end. Can you do compensation yeah. on that, on that masso? <laughs> you can. That's a good idea about stretching the tool life with a spring pass. I should look at that. You can comp on the masso. It's a really nice control actually, like way more involved than any control I've ever had before. They look cool. But because of the weird way I've programmed it, there's no, I'm not using any tools in the control. I'm using what? W, I'm using WCSs as tools. Uh, so tool one is G55, tool two is G56, etc. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I can't even remember why I set it up like that, but I, because there's, there's effectively five tools, but no tool changer. Yeah. So that was kind of my workaround of like having five tools that can potentially all be working at the same time mm-hmm. in like absolute best case scenario. I don't think I'd ever do that, but theoretically possible. And so having each one assigned to a WCS kind of just made sense and has worked quite well, but it means I've means I don't have options like tool compensation. I have two very opposing systems and they have very different ways to do some of that stuff. Like we've never done compensation on the router really. I think we had one employee that ran a lot of different types of machines before he worked here, and he was the first one to try compensation. He was like, that works great. You should use that more often. I was like, meh, nobody cares. It's wood parts, you know, like <laughs> not not that we're like knowingly making bad parts. It's just the joke we always have is a lot of the people we make stuff for are like as long as it's within a 16th of an inch, which it's like 0.06 inches. It's like a, a mile Hmm. I just realized my backup audio wasn't rolling. Oh. It had stopped. Two minutes in. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I, I, hmm. That means uh, there's only what's in Zoom. Okay. It's rolling again now. Damn. That'll happen. Toolware. Yeah. I'll, I, it's interesting that we always find that whenever there's like a nick in a tool or we get some bad edges, you know, whoever's around the machine be like, I just changed that tool. And then like you look at it under the microscope and there's a nick right where you think you don't expect it and you can't see it by eye. And it's like ruining your top surface basically. Are you using compression cutters typically? Yeah. Anything layered. Yeah. 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 We've, um, over the years we've used thematic brad guns or nailers to help with vacuum hold down. Mm hmm on sheets where like we're cutting thin strips or something and yep. there's not enough vacuum power we'll like pop a couple of c1 brads 
on the mm-hmm. top edge or on the corner of the sheet and things like that. And they just destroy compression cutters when you hit one. Uh, unfortunately, it's a tiny bit of steel, but it's enough to kill a cutter. Mm-hmm. But I've always wanted to buy one of those plastic bradders. Have you seen those? I was going to say, uh, I have not bought one. I've seen people use them. I think I saw it at a show one time too, but it sounds smart. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You can just cut <laughs> through them as you need. I'm pretty sure that most of our chip tools like that come from vendors stapling in crap to the side of the plywood mm-hmm. and we don't catch it. We have like one of those cheap like security wands that like does <laughs> metal and it won't get it'll get like a full staple. But if it's just one leg of a staple, it doesn't catch it. And we've had too many times where a brand new hundred dollar compression cutter gets nicked and then it's basically useless. Yeah. When I would mostly run the machine, my solution was to use screws into the spoil board often. It makes such a mess of the spoil board, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't do it more than once in that spot, or it's just trashed. But, you know, you get that really warped piece of material that won't go down. you got to cut yeah. that side up. It's like, what are you going to do? Stand on it while it's cutting? I haven't done that. I have. Yeah, I have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that your tool management concerns have more thoughts on that tool management concerns (laughs) yeah look i hearing people talk about real mills and the tool life tracking and stuff makes me wish our machines had that function same but it just doesn't seem to be a thing with timber machining controls they don't seem to bother putting in tool life management or like time in the cut and stuff like that i would love that data on our machines but alas no I know uh, cabinet makers in the States that will change tools based on how many sheets they run. So, it's, you know, you're cutting a cabinet, you're only cutting like five to 15 parts on a sheet. You know, like it's pretty consistent. And so they'll run them for a certain amount of time and then change them. We've never done anything to manage. It's just uh, keen operators, right? Like watching QA the surface, like how it's a look like. Does it look like it's fuzzy? Is that we've always really optimized to do as much as we can to get a, the best edge off the machine rather than yeah. post-processing and just prided ourselves on making good, clean parts so that, I don't know, they just look good. It seems like the way to do it, in my opinion. For years, I think we were just running pretty generic feeds and speeds mm-hmm. without too much consideration. I think we were just like chasing edge quality and we're like, yeah, that looks good, fine, fine, fine. And then at some point, we started sort of gluing into the fact that we could get twice as much time out of our tool life if we increased the chip load and right. slowed the spindle down and, like, got bigger, cooler chips. And that was a game changer. Just by changing our spindle speed and our chip load, we suddenly were getting way more tool life. Mm-hmm. It was just, again, it was just one of those legacy things. We just started with certain settings. We're like, cool, this works. Off we go. I had a hell of a time trying to find the right feeds and speeds for different materials getting started. And I just generally think there's not much for documentation and conversation about this kind of thing, especially, I don't know, five, 10 years ago. Maybe it's better now, you know, but if you're cutting metal, every manufacturer has an aluminum cutting guide and chip load chart. And the only one that I really trust here in the States is Vortex tool. Like we use a lot of their tools and the rest of them are like, I'm just going to say it. Not that too many people listen to this, but a man of tool feeds and seed charts are trash. They are <laughs> horrible. 
Like they literally are too slow almost always to the point where you're damaging the tool by using their suggested feed rates. And I don't understand. And you only learn that by running through a lot of tools, right? Like you're burning them up and you're like, what's wrong? I, I just find that frustrating that it's not better yet. I guess maybe it's up to us to make some of that change or something. I don't know. Yeah, look, I, I feel some responsibility to communicate that stuff for sure. Yeah. There's a really good document from Onsrud or Onsrud. I'm not mm-hmm. sure how you say it. Maybe Onsrud, I guess. Onsrud. There's a great PDF that I've referenced for years, which is the Onsrud production routing guide or mm. something. It's made like a 50-page PDF, and it goes deep into carbide and what destroys carbide and how to look after it. It's a really good sort of primer for anyone who's running a machine to read through about six times before you understand what it all means. But... Mm-hmm. I've found that a really useful document for us internally, anyone who's running machines to be across to some extent. Yeah, I think I think that's totally right. I didn't know about that one. They, I, I've come to understand that they are some of the top routing experts in the world. They make their own machines, they make tooling, they make everything, and it seems like well-respected. Yeah, they build some pretty sweet machines. Double gantry, five-axis craziness <laughs> yep speaking of five axis i, I mm. sent this to you i think earlier pocket nc founder has been working on this i don't know what to call it larger but not full size five axis machine medium medium size five axis maybe you'd call it and i have been watching this because he's just kind of been posting it on his instagram which is inventor captain i'll put a link to it it looks i've you know i've always wanted a five axis machine and i don't see having a hundred fifty thousand dollar machine anytime soon but this thing is very appealing to me i think it's just well designed too from an aesthetic point of view a small footprint machine yeah it's man i don't even know like a decent size office printer yeah okay it's not that big it's in the sort of pocket in pocket in c family in terms of scale like a desk desktop machine yeah, I think you could probably consider it that it feels a little bit its price is sixty to seventy thousand is what they're they're putting okay. it at. So it's still not cheap. I think its work yep. area is probably looks like about six by six by six. So I don't know what that I can never maybe you can translate the uh, one fifty by one fifty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm bad with my translations. <laughs> feels like it there's really not a maybe I'm just not aware a competing machine in this place. Price point this it's going to be a big step up from the actual pocket NC original machine, I think. What would you make on something like that? It's a great question. I think I was showing my wife and she said the same thing. Like, what? Why? Why would you want <laughs> that? She said, I think we need a new rule about machines where it's one in, one out. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know if that's how that works, really. But yeah, I don't I like that you, rule. I get your sentiment. I could see prototypes. I mean, it is surprising how much you can make on even our mill with a pretty small footprint or work envelope. It's not that far off, I would imagine, from some of the current work areas. Like, some of those are pretty mm. small. It made me think of a Kern when I saw it, the way it's styled. Yeah. Yeah. Kern mixed with, like, a DMG, Mori, maybe. Mm. They look like they're made for the for the contemporary times rather than most machine tools look like they're made by like somebody bending sheet metal in like the sixties. Yep, yep. Yeah, look I I find things like that appealing as well, but I really don't know what I'd put on them. Like I've what what's the little the newer five axis has called? 
the UMC. Yeah, the UMC five hundred. Yeah, I think they might have a smaller one than that now, three fifty or three hundred. Really. But yeah, five hundred to seven hundred, one thousand. Yeah, that's right. It was the seven fifty, and then the five hundred. I remember when the five hundred came out, and for a while, a few weeks there, I was just like lusting after it. This little yeah. compact five axis mill, but there was only like I could only think of one part that I'd make on it. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, but but as with all machines, like I love to be guided by the machine and the process and what's available. So you know, my justification on such things is always just just get it on the floor and we'll find out what we can do with it. But that's very hard to justify to uh, that money. Yeah, business partners when uh, yeah, <laughs> it's that much money. I, I'd be completely honest. I think that's really fair. I'm a little embarrassed about this based on my background, I think. But when we when we were thinking about buying this mill, it took about a year from the time I first started talking about it till it was in our shop, maybe a little bit longer. Once we even had it, I still had this like creative block about like, all right, we've got this tool. What can I make with it? I think from not being around metal making machines like that, or mostly metal, but the precision, the accuracy, the kind of speed and capability of it, I just, it took me quite a while before I finally started like, oh, I could make that part, you know, on it like this and I could reliably change the setup or palletize or, you know, any of these things that most people that work in the, the with these machines kind of come to realize. It it took me a bit and I was a little ashamed of that. <laughs> like, yeah. Are you feeling more comfortable on it now in terms of yeah. those ideas? Yeah. I, I This brass part, this is my damaged one, mm. kind of changed my game, honestly, for feeling confidence and just even like setting work offsets was like pretty stressful and I didn't trust it. And I always felt like I was going to crash all the time because I just didn't understand what I was doing as well. And so, yeah, now that I have a better grasp, I think I released the stress of working with it. And now I can use it more like a tool than an opposition or something. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I can relate to that. I think there's a... I think with any new tool, there's a period of time there where ideally for me, it just needs to be in its sort of an exploratory time and it helps doing other people's jobs, I think, because you're forced to do things that you may otherwise avoid. Like, you know, that, that part you just showed me, like, as I don't know how many setups that was, but it looks like two or three at least. Two, yeah. Two to get all those faces done. Yeah, yeah. nice. Yeah, cool. So it's nice to be forced into doing things for mm-hmm. sure by doing client work, but also I think there's the other side too of having just playtime, yep. exploratory playtime, sort of as as off the clock as possible in terms of the feel, mm-hmm. not feeling accountable to how much time you're spending faffing around trying to work out work offsets and stuff like that and just playing. I find that space really valuable as well. Yeah, I've, I think I've been inspired by you talking about, I haven't done that as much, and I liked your, it's taken me a long time to move into this idea <laughs> of I could get up earlier than I need to be somewhere, especially like work. That was just not me for most of my life, and now something shifted weirdly in the pandemic where I just started waking up at like 6am and I was like, oh, okay, I guess I could use this time. And you were talking about coming in and like using that time to do R&D stuff. And I definitely like that idea. I think I may, may try that on for myself. It sounds like a good, I usually end up doing that stuff like late in the day and then I'm tired and, you know, I don't get as much out of it. Yeah, I find it a really good window for that headspace. 
Yeah, if you can get out of bed, that's that's the hard bit. Yeah, I struggle with that too. <laughs> hey, so what's going on with these NDAs? NDAs, I've never liked them, honestly. That's kind mm, of what it is. I, I feel like I'm not knowledgeable enough about what could be in them that I'm signing myself up for something that I don't knowingly want to sign myself up for. And honestly, I think we've done maybe... Let's say I've signed 20 NDAs for potential client work. I bet we've done two to five of those jobs in the end. And the amount of like mm. offset time for what, because they're not really that common here. Maybe when you're working with, you know, some of these giant companies, those I understand. And honestly, I just kind of under expect that I'm getting screwed in any circumstance there. Like I'm not going to fight them in a legal battle. <laughs> like I'm not, this is maybe just a very un-American thing, I guess too. We're, we're all about our lawsuits. Not that I, not that I am. Yeah. I just thought, it might be an interesting piece of conversation that I <laughs> I was trying to think, like, how do I disincentivize this? And one of the thoughts was, like, maybe I could charge somebody to sign their NDA before we start the work. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll sign your NDA if it's 100 bucks. You know, like, I got to read through this thing. I think there's a solid argument in that. Like, yes, on, on one level, they're not that much work. You can just go, cool, yeah, it's just another NDA. Sign, flick yeah. it back. It's like one extra email. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's a legal contract and you could easily argue, hey, I'm going to send this to my lawyer first yep. just to take five minutes to look at it. And that's that's money. Mm-hmm. And it's probably better practice to be doing something like doing due diligence. I'm not going to say probably. It would be better practice <laughs> to be opinion. doing that due diligence. So yeah, I find myself now with NDAs. I don't do that many of them, but you know, maybe half a dozen a year or something. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty sloppy with them. I do read them, but you know, I'm skimming the fine print. I'm like, yep, yep, yep. Standard, standard, whatever. Cool. Sign. There you go. Yeah. And interesting to hear you say that a lot of those jobs don't convert because I hadn't thought about that, but thinking about that now i reckon we're in a similar position where very few of them have ever gone anywhere yep i usually am pretty pushy or um demanding of that i get a generic description of the project before Mm. signing it because that usually cuts off a good portion of those two like hey before i know i understand you don't want to send me files totally get that i mean i've asked people to sign ndas kind of before i really understood what i was doing you know when i was younger and dumber and that usually works pretty well because it's like oh yeah we're not going to end up doing a tiny when we only had the router like we're not going to do a aluminum mold for you probably sorry like that doesn't make any sense yeah just it, it's easy to kind of head those off not like them that much eh? yeah it's interesting i find clients there's you want that nice cultural fit with your clients i think so when the best clients that we have that could have totally served served us <laughs> sounding very officious they totally could have asked us to sign an NDA because they were, you know, developing a new product or something that they wanted to keep under the radar. Yeah. The best clients I've had in that space, we've just had a very frank conversation of like, hey, what do you think about NDAs and IP you know, protection and stuff like that? And we've just had a frank conversation of like, you know, cool. Well, in my opinion, we don't, for our own products, we don't deal with any of that stuff because we don't want to spend time or money protecting our products we'd rather spend that time and money developing new products and if the client is on a similar sort of trajectory and thinking then it's like that's a nice match yep 
yep. there in terms of energy and thinking. And maybe that's silly, but I'd much rather work with people who are kind of on a similar page to us and yeah, those relationships are easier and tend to get better results. So Yeah, for sure. I think on, if I had to boil it down, it's time that it takes and then you sometimes feels like we're not winning most of them. The second part is I f- it's the fear of not or apprehension that I'm not understanding what I'm signing. And then yes. I should send this to a lawyer, but I don't, <laughs> you know, like it's going to cost me money. Yeah. yeah. And all that stuff about like any material that's kept on your servers and blah, blah, blah. It's like, cool, this job's not going to go anywhere. What am I going to do with these quoting files? Probably not going to do anything with these quoting files I mean, when I'm the job not- disappears, but technically I should destroy them. I don't know about you, but every time they, we end one of those, I burn my servers. Just oh yeah, me too. Every yeah. time so that they know for sure I film it. That way they know I've destroyed their product, their IP. Yeah, we just clear the Dropbox. <laughs> Start over. <laughs> Start over. <laughs> Do you have a server? Yeah. Or are you running cloud? Yeah. I need to get something, but yeah, mostly we use almost all Dropbox, Google Drive, kind of a combination. Yeah, same. I mean, sneaker net for the mill. Sneaker net. <laughs> yep. Nice. Yeah, I think I remember looking at the cost of servers years ago when we were thinking about upgrading to like the highest level of Dropbox. And it feels like a lifetime commitment going to that level of Dropbox because you're like, I'm going to load my whole existence into this platform and I'm probably never going to extract it. At the time we thought, yeah, that was the way to do it rather than try and maintain our own servers. Yeah, We've got sure. like a, an old PC at home with lots of hard drives in it that is called cold storage and we just turn it on every six months and just let Dropbox sync and then we turn it off again so we've got like a hard copy of everything. I like that. What's your balancing R&D and production? Oh, I wrote that. Balancing R&D and production or something. <laughs> I- <laughs> Who wrote this? Um, I feel like, I mean, there's just a lot more of you over there working in your company so I'm usually the one trying to figure out how to how to balance these things so I'm curious I find a lot of value in working on, like we're just talking about new products or or anything like that, but it also usually doesn't make money for a while. How do you all split the time on your machines? Is there a agreed system or it just happens between like mm. what's a R&D versus a production time slot? We are trying to chase as much production time as we can at the moment because after many years of flying pretty blind, we finally sort of at a point where we understand our numbers and our break-even and all of these like nitty-gritty financial details that we never understood previously. We know what our billables need to be, so we're chasing that. In terms of R&D budgets, you know, that's for me, that's why I come in early and do it pre-production. That's kind of my time slot for that sort of work. And then we've rolled out a thing this year called default diary which is basically Mm. for me and sarah sarah's our business manager it's kind of most structured with us where our time is broken down into quite rigid segments every day and each Mm. day is pretty much a copy of the previous one and and some you know on wednesdays there might be one thing that happens in the afternoon and there's some unique stuff that happens during the week obviously but for the most part we have a very structured default diary and for me that sort of 6 a.m to 8 a.m is my r&d slot and then john our machinist has a bit of a default diary happening as well and he's got an r&d slot on thursday afternoons interesting that's kind of how we're 
doing it at the moment in a sort of, I guess, a very structured way. And, you know, I'll be honest, I don't get in at 6am every morning. If, if the kids have slept terribly or we've had a rough night, yeah. I'll definitely preference more sleep and get in just at the normal time. That's how we're balancing it because we know what our billables need to be. We're really chasing that as hard as we can at the moment. But at the same time, know how important R&D and product development is to our business. So making sure that that time is allocated and allowed for and giving permission to people to do that. What's your thinking around that? <laughs> you just slot it in anywhere? I'm just hoping you'd say something like, I don't have a plan because it'd make me feel better. But uh, oh, sorry. No, <laughs> no, no it's well, fine. This is, you know, this is just the last six months for us. It's very fresh. I think, I think I've influenced... Um, probably in the amount of help i have at the moment which isn't isn't excessive yeah you know probably the opposite i I don't think we have enough help it's been tough to hire here wages have gone up unemployment's at record lows and people either happy or just i used to get just for example when we'd hire like a shop operator kind of position we get like 30 applicants now it's like five maybe and they're either not qualified or just not a good fit and so it's been a little frustrating. That's a backwards way of saying I haven't managed my time as well as I'd like. I'd like to have more of a reliable schedule like that. And I definitely feel like I've been, well, the, the way I've always described it is I feel like a firefighter too often where I'm like trying to put out the fires of the day rather than, oh, I'm coming here to work on X, whether it's a new product or quoting something or whatever that is, it always feels like I'm just kind of like playing whack-a-mole. I'd like to think if I had, you know, a couple other people in certain positions that that would change. But also, like I said in the past, I'm not the greatest at planning time. It's not my strong suit. So Mm. maybe, maybe I like that idea though. If you would elaborate a little bit on your own, I'm curious about this. Like, do you have every moment of your week planned out or is it just certain times of the week? Ideally, it's not fully planned because you need space for the all the unplanned things that happen. Yeah. The concept is that you have planned blocks with space between them so that, so for me, it's R&D in that first two-hour block. And then I've got, I think, an hour and a half for sort of production management. The team are coming in. I'm like, cool, what are we up to on that job? Or oh, that new job needs to be allocated to you, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. That's a pretty whack-a-mole sort of time of like running around and just like keeping everything flowing in the morning yeah after morning tea i have a two-hour quoting block which is just like my dedicated quoting time per day and that's been really effective because sarah's quoting block is after lunch so like i'm accountable to her in that pre-lunch slot to get all my quote calculations done so that she has something to process after lunch that's been super powerful that little accountability link but also just having a structured time every day to get through quotes. Because prior to that, I was just like inbox overflowing. It's like, oh, what am I going to quote today? Maybe that one, maybe that one, maybe nothing. It's encouraging but that I- that works because I have the exact description of what you just said. Is Well, some days you get a lot, some days you don't. And then I just kind yeah. of deal with it as it happens. Yeah. So, yeah, having that structure has been really good. And then afternoons are a bit more sort of all over the place. But yeah, I've got a block for sort of marketing time and a block for just like business. I call it business owner time. It's just like trying to stop and think more deeply about whether it's financials or staffing stuff or systems. I find it harder to be disciplined on those sorts of time slots though. It's easy to just let the most pressing fire of the day get your attention. Yep. And yeah, there's, there's always stuff that's happening. 
that you have to sort of reschedule around. But having that, I guess that's why it's called a default diary because that you always swing back to that default position of cool. I'm this is my quoting block now. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's what I'm going to do for the next two hours and try and focus on that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's been it's been really effective for me because I'm yeah I, I don't think I'm good at time management by any means. I should say I'm pretty terrible. I think it, some of that comes from giving myself an out, I guess, is like that creative process for me is best when it's in kind of chaos mode. Mm. The ideas don't come for anything, production, fixturing, when I have to sit there and, you know, like stare at it. Like it's like <laughs> I'm walking. I just went to the dentist and I had an idea for how to solve while I was laying in the chair. It's like you don't <laughs> you don't get to choose those things. Yeah, know. that's right. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, no worries. What's on for you, Zavo? I'm going to attempt to learn how to thread mill. Yes. Because I, I've been told it's easy-ish. I have a part that we've been 3D printing, and that's been really successful, actually. We were debating whether we could just make the part like that. It's a little clamp piece that goes behind the wall so you can thread stuff to it. I don't trust it. So it's always been intended to be an aluminum part, and I need to just make that. It's not too far off. It's actually a pretty easy part. I just need to go test thread milling different ways and probably break some taps at some point so you thread milling or rigid tapping on the mill i probably will rigid tap because i know the machine has it and i've been advised that that's the better way to go great but i imagine it's faster i don't know i would like to try both honestly just to understand them both a little bit better yeah once it's a reliable same product process i think it seems thread milling is the better choice Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit with my thread milling stuff, I've been pretty lazy because I've made all the parts that relate to each other. Mm-hmm. I've been pretty sloppy in terms of trying to actually hit yeah. real tolerances. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like I've I've kind of loosely based it on an M22 thread, mm-hmm. but I've never gone and bought some M22 hardware and gone, oh, does it fit? Because <laughs> it doesn't need to relate no. to that specifically. Yeah. But I imagine it gets way more finicky and harder to fine-tune when you're actually trying to match hardware. It's the best part about making your own products is they only have to work for your own products usually. (laughs) Yeah. How about you? What's your, or or the day, you got got R&D right now until 8 and then... Well, you're you're my R&D. Yeah, this this is my R&D slot, really. Oh, that's good. (laughs) The month is winding up. I'll spend the morning trying to push as many quotes and follow-ups as I can to try and hit our sales target this month. Ah, yeah, Cash yeah. is on because we're tomorrow's Friday and we're closed on Friday, so we've really only got one business day left to try and close out the month's mm-hmm. sales. And we're doing okay, but I'd like to get it across the line a little bit further. See how we go. Bunch of other stuff to I've got some production drawings to do. We're making some cool American oak tables that are coming up, which this this will be a fun one to chat about later. But I'm mounting, I made this years ago, but I'm going to use it again. It's a fixture to mount a really simple A-axis hanging off the front of the machine and do turning with the the CNC. So like put round stock in and then turn it. Hmm. Hopefully setting that up again next week and getting that in, but I need to get the drawings done for that job. That sounds very interesting. Hmm. Fun I was one. hoping there's some video or photos of this. There will be, yeah, for sure. Good, good. <laughs> cool. Cool. All right. Well, have a good afternoon. Yeah, same. Chat to you soon. See you next week. Thanks, Justin. Bye.
Bye.